Do you need a ride or something? I'm a stay-at-home mom myself, so I'm happy to welcome another full-time mom to the ranks. You know, sometimes I think it's like us against them, the career mommies. Them and all their various board meetings that are so important. Google this, Yahoo that. Please, I think they spend more time on those board meetings than they do actually parenting, if you know what I mean. Our mom's an active talker. I actually have a part-time job. Oh yeah, so do I. But it doesn't really count. The over and under in this town is about 150,000. I work in community theater, 20 hours a week, so I'm definitely an under. What do you do? Oh, just bookkeeping, so most definitely an under too. When I grow up, I'm gonna write a massive label. Do you have plans? No. He's a little nervous. Relax, he's walking in with Chloe. That's like walking in with the golden ticket. <laughs> what kind of music do you listen to? Don't tell me, Bowie. What you just heard is a scene from the first episode of Big Little Lies, an HBO series that stars some of the great uh, screen sirens of today, Nicole Kidman, Laura Dern. And the two people that you heard in that clip, uh, and that would be Reese Witherspoon and Shailene Woodley, uh, and uh, this is all set in a lavish Monterey, uh, where I think the over-under is probably a little bit higher than 150000 uh, but what do I know? And you also hear these two uh, preternaturally, or one preternaturally uh, adult little kid uh, uh, in the back seat. Uh, having uh, comments about running a massive label when she grows up. Her name is Chloe. She's talking to Ziggy. Uh, a lot of the tension in the series is all centered around drop-off uh, at the local school. That's where a lot of important things happen. That's what they're on their way to in that series. So uh, that's going to be one of the things we talk about. We're talking about screen sirens today uh, on the nose. Uh, we're going to start with these screen sirens and then move from there to Betty Davis and Joan Crawford as incarnated uh, by Susan Sarandon and Jessica Lang respectively on the series Feud. Um, and if time, we, we'll talk about some other stuff. Now, who are we talking with? Perhaps you'd like to know. Uh, Teresa Kramer is a writer uh, and uh, editor at, uh, of eContent Magazine and the founding editor of The Cut, uh, a online magazine for disgruntled uh, adults of Connecticut, young adults, rapidly aging young adults. Tanisha O'Dugan uh, is a poor Tanisha. She's here surrounded on St. Patrick's Day by... A bunch of the Irish. Um, uh, <laughs> Tanisha Dugan is a producing associate uh, at Theatre Works. Carolyn Payne, who has cabbage and corned beef cooking at home right now, hopefully turned down very low, uh, is an actress, comedian, and dancer. Uh, she is founder and director and choreographer of Kinetic Dance, among many other things. Uh, so uh, we are going to start with Big Little Lies. I've actually sort of made a fatal mistake, probably, and allowed you guys to program this show a little bit. <laughs> I mean, this was sort of your idea, and I just sort of said... Okay. Um, so, um, in particular, and Tanisha is being dragged along in the wake of this, like me, too. So, it's really <laughs> Carolyn and Teresa who formed this cult around the series Big Little Lies, which I already was watching. Uh, it is uh, created by David Kelly, uh, famous for creating Ally McBeal and a whole bunch of other, and Chicago Hope and a whole bunch of other uh, TV stuff like that. Um, and then the director uh, of the movies, Dallas Buyers Club and, uh, and Wild. Um, so it's kind of got impressive credentials and incredibly impressive a group of actresses uh, at its core. Uh, Teresa, you and Carolyn have grown addicted in an unhealthy way to it. Um, <laughs> I don't suppose there's a healthy way to become addicted to something. But anyway, um, why? 
That's a very good question. I'm not entirely sure how to answer it. Other, Well, I love a good mystery, and I think they did a bad job of selling this show as a mystery in the trailers for it, but that's essentially what it is. But, I mean, it's also got tons of big stars that you all named, um, so it's sort of prestige. It's prestige TV for women, right? Because so much of... All the other shows are, you know, it's Mad Men, it's Breaking Bad, and this has just got all our little ladies in it, and they're, you know, rocking out. Well, being horrible. Let's behaving about, badly. Yeah. Yeah. It's women behaving badly. Let's talk about a couple aspects of that. So, Tanisha, um, you know, um, Teresa said mystery. So, what they do in this thing is they, they have you backing into a mystery all the way through it. My understanding is. I don't. I forget how many episodes we've all watched now, but however many it is, this mystery has been dangled in front of us since the first episode with this Greek chorus of townspeople kind of just talking about all the respective personalities and how, well, you kind of knew this was going to culminate in something uh, like murder or violence. But what we don't know is who has been murdered or who stands accused of murder or what they're talking about. Um, and this has been going on for many, many episodes now. I would argue, but I'd be interested in particularly you as a dramaturge that you are. I, I don't think this is a mystery. If I were really interested in mysteries, I would never watch this. I would never watch a mystery where they refuse to tell me anything about the mystery. <laughs> yeah, totally. I was, I, I, I'm like two and a half episodes in and I heard you say, read you say uh, that this was a mystery and I was like, it is? I guess it kind of is, but it's really more of a meditation on these mothers and their like lives in this, in this town and, and what, what matters to sort of upper middle class parents. The mystery is sort of an interesting way to give us like that inside man, if you know that mm-hmm. um, Spike Lee movie, because mm-hmm. like kind of that inside man look at the Greek choir, as you say. But it, we don't get enough of that story for it to matter. I guess the suspense of it, though, is like there's this buildup. We're just waiting to see who snaps. But it doesn't seem to relate to any of the people who are who are like main characters. So I guess that's the thing that's like really? weird to me. Like I'm like, is it Renata's party? I'm not really, really sure if it really is. Like, and do we really care who died, or is it just sort of like the newspaper clipping? Like I don't oh, get this, how it's important. I to... find this interesting because one of the reason Carolyn and I started watching it together in the first place was because like we were like we need to talk about it and our theories. Okay. Because we had theories, and I think you know one of the things I said in our emails is that usually I'm sort of annoyed by this like housewife ennui genre, but because of I want to know who's dead and who did it. And the options are plenty, I think. There are plenty of people who could be dead and plenty of people who could have killed them. And then there's probably ones I'm not even thinking about. Um, that's really what keeps me watching. That's I, think. A, it, I think it is possible to have either one of mm-hmm. those reactions. The person with whom I watch this show mm-hmm. is very interested in the mystery. I've checked out on the mystery totally. Yeah. I do. I, by the, by the time they tell me, I won't. I don't care. I, I honestly <laughs> exactly. don't care. Yeah. And you haven't seen them on the screen <laughs> yeah. at all. So, which is to say, not to say that I don't care about anything here. Mm-hmm. And I, I also, Carolyn, would question whether I would consider this to be a housewife on we series. I mean, it, there's it's a lot of things, and I guess there's some housewife on we in it. But first of all, these four protagonists that were given, um, they represent kind of a continuum uh, of places that women can be in their lives, ranging from Laura Dern as Renata, who just makes insane amount of, amounts of money, Nicole Kidman as Celeste, uh, who has bowed out of a very lucrative 
career as some kind of litigator uh, and is living with her abusive husband, who's also a vampire. Actually, that's not true, but he was a vampire. <laughs> in it was a vampire. So she's sort of out of the career place, but kind of wanting to edge back in. Uh, Reese Witherspoon plays Maddie. Madeline, who's uh, somebody, he, she's the person talking in that clip that she volunteers for a uh, theater company to kind of stay active. She's not working. And then Shailene, Shailene Woodley is the only non-affluent person in this bunch. She and her kid Ziggy have moved there. They're renting a kind of shabby looking, at least by Monterey standards, uh, house and, and and trying to eke by. So, and um, Zoe Kravitz fits and, that And Zoe bill Kravitz, too. yeah. yeah. <laughs> and Zoe Kravitz has married uh, Madeline, uh, Madeline <laughs> Reese Witherspoon's ex-husband. Um, so... So I don't know. It's not really a housewife. I don't know what exactly it is. I mean, it is housewives sitting around in a very expensive looking coffee shop that overlooks the water. Well, the whole show is expensive looking. Yes. <laughs> uh, one of the big things, it, it's like real estate porn to watch this show. You have these houses that have these sweeping views of the Pacific Ocean. Um, and uh, Teresa and I have spent time Googling these properties <laughs> and, you know, Googling price point to see how much I need to make to live in this property <laughs> one day. Um, so I, and, and I think that in some ways the setting is a big character in this show and the houses that represent each of these characters. I think you just hit on something for me there, which I've thought of and then forgot before we, I came here. But like every show I really love, it's as much about the town and the setting mm. as it yeah. is about the people or whatever's happening in it. It's funny you say that because I feel like this is about Monterey, yeah. but it does kind of feel like as a mom, right? Mm -hmm. It kind of feels like every kid yeah. drop off. Like mm -hmm. you can it's like aspirational in the sense of like, oh my God, look where they live. Mm -hmm. But like the characters, these sort of archetypes that are that these that the story is created around are like so real. Yeah. Like these ladies are like <laughs> so so real, you know? Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't have a kid, but I for years taught ballet in affluent neighborhoods, and like these, these were moms that you encountered a, a lot and dreaded encountering. <laughs> and it's funny because you kind of like want to not like Maddie. You know, mm -hmm. Reese Witherspoon to me is kind of a mean girl, mm -hmm. and yet she's the one who seems to have the most like girlfriends, mm -hmm. which yeah. to me is like a really interesting thing. Because, well, yes, so a, yeah. a woman like her would have. A lot of women, because you're either with her or okay. she's against right, you. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. I have succeeded in not liking Maddie. Um, <laughs> it's that, easy that, to not like was, her. If that was a goal of mine, I say I could say I've crossed the finish line. I actually there. don't really like any of these characters. Like I, I find myself, you know, how when you watch a show, you often are like, oh, who do I relate to here? Who am I most like? Or who mm -hmm. would I, you know, go out for cocktails with? And the answer with the show is nobody. Oh, I totally go out with Zoe Kravitz. Really? Yeah, I would yeah, feel bad I about would. myself the entire time, but <laughs> I would go out with her. And I think I actually would, like, maybe hang out with Reese Witherspoon. I would actually go out with Zoe Kravitz. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a separate yeah. conversation. But, you know, because she's kind of, I mean, she's annoying, but she's kind of spunky in a way that the other women aren't. And she's well, always, like, yelling, like, obscenities I feel like she people. would just be trying to get me to drink some sort of, like, crazy organic tea and All right, I, I want to drag this back for people who haven't watched this series. <laughs> I want to make sure we're, like, talking about things that they can relate to. So one of the questions that I have, I, I own that's not a question, it's a reaction that I have. I, in general, don't like things that are about people who live in affluent settings and, and where, you know, I mean, like, Tanisha, I think your comment's really interesting, that in a way it's about drop-off off anywhere, you know, and that anywhere that you are dropping your kid off for school, there's probably a pecking order, there's an economic continuum, there are people who are in and out, or there's tensions that surface. Um, and I, the question that I always have is, so 
so why is it in this particular place? You know, I, it's a problem I have with the work of Lisa Myers, uh, Nancy Myers. She's a, a terrific director in a lot of ways, but all of her movies are about like really rich people, you know, who have really great living environments. Uh, and I feel like that's sort of almost a, a genre these days. And right. and so the question is, like, is are we supposed to be looking at all this opulence and saying, well, they have all this stuff and they're still not happy, so that should make me feel? I'm trying to. Feel, I I never know how to relate to anything in this. It's weird. I feel like the opulence is ground zero and so like you put things in settings like that because then it's not about the setting if that makes sense like if you put it in a middle class looking place then it becomes about economics and so you're paying as much attention to how do they get through their lives as you are just what do they do to mm-hmm. get through their lives? And so right. it's like, unfortunate, but I think that's ground zero. In any other setting, these people would have actual concerns, right? <laughs> like other than just like whose birthday party, what kid is going to. Right. They would be like, no, I I can't pay my light bill or like I just crashed the car or whatever. Like these things would be much bigger deals and they wouldn't care quite as much about some of the things they care about. And it rings, I mean, what the title is Little little Big Lies, right? It, like Big it, Little Lies. Big, big, little, big, 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 big Little, little, little Lies. And I think <laughs> it lies in the title there, you know, that it's yeah. like about big little things. Mm-hmm. And it's hard if the setting is so firmly, you know, and an urban Mm -hmm. middle-class setting for you to really like lean into the big little Mm -hmm. parts of life, you know? I I agree. And I, I, you know, just even maybe um, reacting to something that you were saying, I had this sort of, I made this weird association. So the current has run recently this kind of fascinating series on the state of the Hartford schools after Mm -hmm. 20 years after Chef versus O'Neill. And one of the things they talk about are these magnet schools where they're trying to get affluent people from the suburbs to come into Hartford and send their kids to these magnet schools. But to do that, they have to make these magnet schools like some kind of, you know, Palm Springs resort or something, you know? (laughs) And so they have to like have all this incredible stuff. And and I realized there's, there's, I thought, a really fascinating scene in, in Big Little lives where uh, there's been a lot of maneuvering around a kid's birthday party, uh, about a kid's birthday party, and and so some of the kids aren't going. And Laura Dern, who is probably the most affluent person in this series, I think in in the pecking order, she is the most uh, rich person uh, in there. She's hosting this birthday party. She's very worried about it. And one of her revenges is sort of these, I guess they're goodie bags, yes. but they're not really bags. They're like they're baskets. Baskets. They're baskets. And, and I'm guessing they took up maybe, I'd guess, 250 bucks, you know, per basket, something like that. And, and it really is that, that same thing of you want to get people to do something. You, and you have, like, a lot of money to spend. Right. So mm-hmm. you just bribe them to do something. Well, at one point she offers, you know, because there's this thing where the, the other people are going to see Frozen on ice or something. Right. And so she offers to just, like, buy everyone VIP tickets to Disneyland <laughs> instead. Right. And you're just like, what? I couldn't afford that for myself. Never mind. <laughs> like, a party full of people. And yet the baskets, right? The basket that we saw is probably worth $250. But I totally get that as a mom throwing a birthday party that, right. like, it's not it's not my fantasy basket, but, like, the, the agita of, like, what am I going to put in this basket to thank yeah. these kids and their parents for showing up? It's All of those moments are so, so real and so not mm-hmm. tied to... But that birthday party wife. was bizarre in general. The way that they... The, what they show of it a good chunk of the party looked like just the parents having this bizarre dance, dance off. Yes. <laughs> Zoe yes. Kravitz getting all the guys hot and bothered. So <laughs> I, I want to play another clip here. Uh, Wolfie, we're going to play a clip A3. I want to set this up um, a, a little bit. Uh, this is, um, I think I have this right. Uh, so one of the m- 
various subplots that's going on here is that this local theater company was uh, going to present Avenue Q. Uh, the village elders are now questioning whether Avenue Q is um, is uh, appropriate because in particular two puppets in Avenue Q do something that puppets do when they love each other very much and want to have a baby um, <laughs> and this is pretty graphic and so is this going to be cancelled and so Nicole Kidman who to my way, way of thinking is the most fascinating character in this whole show mm-hmm. for a lot of different reasons that I want to discuss here but she is this former litigator, former lawyer who's gone into retirement to raise her twin sons and also pretty clearly at the insistence of her insecure and therefore violent Uh, husband. And so she's kind of dragged out of retirement by Reese Witherspoon just to present pro bono the case for putting on this play. Okay, I think I've now set up this uh, clip fairly well. Here we go. I think we can agree that the world has gone to hell, right? I mean, we're living in a time where our little ones have lockdown drills at school because of gun violence. They don't even feel safe in their own classroom. So what if we brought back a little good old-fashioned nostalgia? You know, a little sound of music? I mean, we're Monterey, right? So what do we want to say? And maybe the question isn't, what is this play, but who are we? Hmm. I take your point. It's a good one. We, uh, We all have small children, and this is the village that we've chosen to raise them in. And, um, I would say... Among other things, I hope we're open-minded. I mean, I think what draws a lot of people to Monterey is its progressiveness. <clears throat> but opinions aside, legally, you've already lost. <laughs> the California Constitution goes way further than the federal one to protect the First Amendment. But to answer your question, Renata, who are we? I don't think we want to become synonymous with suppression and prior restraint. We're going to face accusations of being anti-American and anti-free speech. I mean, that's not the politics that you've been practicing, Mayor Bartley. So I would say there are bigger black eyes than putting on a controversial musical, especially ones that have won Tonys. So that is uh, Nicole Kidman's character, uh, Celeste rebutting Laura Dern's character, Renata, who for reasons having nothing to do with the merits of the case is trying to get this uh, community theater to drop Avenue Q. But, you know, the Kidman is so fascinating in this, Carolyn, because... Um, she is, first of all, she is who she is. These actresses are people that we really kind of know from their prior roles. And I really do think, you know, we're going to be talking about screen sirens of the past uh, in the in the next segment. But, I mean, Nicole Kidman is that today. She, you know, just towers in a certain way, uh, not just because she's tall, but she just towers really <laughs> over a lot of people. She's just in, insanely beautiful. And um, here she is this incredibly bruised person, too, this person who's highly competent. But and to me, this thing's treatment of domestic violence is the thing that makes it worth talking about when otherwise it might be 90210 for grownups. Um, yeah, I, th- I actually, when I first was telling Teresa about the show, I said, this is the, my favorite thing I've ever seen Nicole Kidman do as far as an actress. Like, I, I really think she's, like, kind of at the top of her game with this because she does have such a interesting character. And that was before, you know, things had completely unfolded for her character. Um, and uh, it's you get mad at her because of her situation with her husband. Because uh, she seems like such, she she's just a powerful, very smart woman, and especially in this scene where you really see how she just is this like tiger in in the courtroom, and then that assertiveness then is totally 
just taken away when she's with this husband who is the classic abuser. Mm-hmm. I mean, complete to like apologizing with a ridiculous diamond necklace. Mm-hmm. That well, he's down on his knees apologizing to her. Yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and they, the show does deal with it in a very interesting way because you really kind of see that inner workings where when you understand why somebody is in this relationship and all of the complexities in that. And I think she does an amazing job where you're mad at her, but then at the same time you feel bad for her, but know she's smart and want her to get. So I feel like there's a lot going on there. Um, I'm not a huge fan of the therapist that they go to. <laughs> well, and so um, I, um, I, I should warn everybody that Nancy H. just tweeted, this is like listening to my grandmother talk about her soaps. So uh, we have to be careful here. But, but uh, you know, to me, Teresa... I am a grandmother. <laughs> there you go. And this might be a soap opera. Yeah. <laughs> so, Teresa, to me, to me, one of the strengths of this, and particularly this domestic violence sub-theme in it, is, like, we've all seen kind of, I don't know, like Lifetime movies and other mm-hmm. stuff where that are about a violent domestic situation, about a woman trapped in a moment of domestic violence. To me, one of the strengths of this as kind of an ensemble piece is that this exists within this much broader spectrum. You're sort of looking at other stuff and, and laughing at this thing and maybe sighing at this other thing. And then suddenly this incredibly visceral moment will happen between these two people. And, and it's kind of to me, a little bit more the way domestic violence is, which is, you know, it happens in the village you live in, just not the couple that you necessarily knew and and not completely estranged from the rest of life. Well, it's interesting because one of the things we learn from the Greek chorus, which are really people giving, you know, interviews to the police throughout the show, is that people sort of do suspect something's wrong with this couple. They're a little too perfect. They're a little too in love. But no one knows, including... Reese Witherspoon, who is Celeste's best friend, you know, she's hiding all of this in part because she's seen the Lifetime movies. She doesn't want to be that woman. Mm -hmm. And she she knows she's not right, that she has all the resources in the world to walk away from this person. But she actually does love him. They have like a kind of weird, creepy passionate relationship and she's not able to just walk away. Yet. Well, and Teresa, this might be one of the rare instances where mm-hmm. you see domestic violence um, depicted where I think <laughs> I think people will join me in this. There's a sense in which Nicole Kidman is a little bit ready for the violence herself, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. That there's a way, yeah. there's a reason she's with this guy and, and she's not completely detached from the potential for violence. She's maybe a little bit ready to, to join in. I think that's what makes it so fascinating mm-hmm. is that the their relationship, there's this duality. They both are there's abuse from both I don't sides. Know, Teresa cocked her head when I said that. She might not be agreeing with me. No, I was thinking uh, that there's a line that she says where uh, she sort of likens it to the sex, and I cocked mm-hmm. my head because it's always like one of those funky, weird places mm-hmm. to wade into, uh, especially if you haven't seen it, because I don't want to like yeah. make any weird connections. But that's built into their relationship, mm-hmm. and she does make you know, Kidman mm-hmm. does make a, make a comment about how it it's part of their passion, it's part of their sex life, um, it's part of what uh, attracts her to him, um, which is controversial, you know, as a thing. And so, in thinking about it, like this, talking about this makes me go, oh, okay, yeah, it's not as light and fluffy as the nine hundred two one zero for grownups. Mm-hmm. Right. I so this will this will we're perfectly poised to make our transition because in many respects this is about four women who at various stages of their life are trying to make their life and make sure their lives are still vital and juicy and exciting in all the <laughs> ways that they want them to be. Um, perfect segue to what we're going to talk about next, which is feud uh, about two women who are maybe at a slightly different stage of their lives, although not necessarily a different age. So we'll talk about that when we come back. 
We are back. Um, oh, joining me in the studio today for the news are Teresa Kramer, Tanisha Dugan, and Carolyn Payne. Um, we're going to talk about a, uh, about feud, colon, Betty and Joan. Uh, we're going to play a little clip to get you started here. Uh, what you're going to hear uh, is um, uh, Jessica Lang playing Joan Crawford, uh, talking to Susan Sarandon, playing Betty Davis. Uh, you will hear the name Lucille. Lucille was the given, born, Christian, whatever name of Joan Crawford. That's something that Betty Davis taunts her with a little bit. So this is um, from the uh, opening episode in which uh, Joan Crawford is basically pitching the idea of doing something together. Uh, that something is going to be whatever happened to baby Jane. Guess what, Betty? I have finally found the perfect project for the two of us. It's always been my dream to work with you. Do you remember how I begged Jack Warner to put us together in Ethan Frome? With Mr. Gary Cooper. You do remember. You wanted to play the pretty young servant girl, and I was to play the old hag of a wife. Forget it. But this is different. These are the parts of a lifetime. No, thanks, Lucille. I've got plenty of better offers. <laughs> I know what kind of offers you've been getting, exactly none, because the same is true for me. They're not making women's pictures anymore, not the kind we used to make. It's all cyclical. They'll come back in fashion. But we won't. If something's going to happen, we have to make it happen. No one's looking to cast women our age, but together, they wouldn't dare say no. We need each other, Betty. So, what the hell happened to her anyway, baby Jane? Read it. Find out. Oh, I, I'm offering you the title role. The lead. You can call it that. All right, so um, that uh, then is part of the opening kind of exposition of feud, um, a few things to take note of. Uh, of course, um, they're exactly right. It'll cycle back into fashion. They'll, someday there'll be a show about women living in Monterey uh, where the women's <laughs> stories are told in a wonderful way and the actresses. Well, I just I will make the point that Nicole Kidman right now, uh, it, who and she really could not be more lustrously beautiful uh, in, uh, in Big Little Lies, she is three years younger than Betty Davis was when she uh, had to make whatever happened to Baby Jane because she was so hopelessly over the hill. Um, and that has a lot to do, I mean, I hope we can talk about this uh, as we go along, with how people age uh, these days as opposed to back in those days. Um, Susan Sarandon is uh, Susan Sarandon is 70 years old right now playing the uh, so the 52-year-old uh, Betty Davis and, and quite convincing as a 52-year-old. So people age differently these days. This I, I feel like there are some connections to from one thing to the other. And, and to I think some of the connections have to do about power. Like, you know, how, mm. how do women get power? How mm. do they hold power? It's a different equation now than it was then. Uh, but I don't know. Do you see any? Uh... Yeah, well, what th one of the things that interested me about this was specifically that it was about whatever happened to B.B. Jane because mm. I was obsessed with this movie when I was probably like 14 <laughs> or something. I would go to the movie literally rent a video of it and watch it all the time. And I had no idea that she... Uh, that she created it. So one of the scenes in the in the opening um, or in the first first episode is her sending her 
weird, creepy maid out to um, get every book with a woman on the cover. Mm. <laughs> and, like, and like she's just going through all of them trying to find a story that she can turn into a script and really reclaiming, you, you know, she's doing what a lot of women and maybe even a little bit with Big Little Lies, because I know that Reese Witherspoon brought Wild to um, well, Mark Jean Valet or whatever mm-hmm. his name mm-hmm. is. You know, and she was like, this is the kind of stuff I want to be doing. And that's exactly what Joan Crawford is doing in this movie. It's funny. I think there's there's an interesting connection between power and Mm -hmm. career between Mm -hmm. the two um, shows and that Joan took the power. You know, she she took the bull by the horns and was like, I've got to work. Work is at the center of my life. And we see that with Laura Dern. Mm -hmm. And so there's an interesting connection there. And it's also interesting to see how these women are sort of managing their lives around around this work that is at the center of who they are. Well, all of these women in both these shows are uh, like out of control. Like their lives are kind of spiraling out of control. Mm-hmm. And it's all of these grabs to get that control that mm-hmm. makes it fascinating. Um, they're really just trying to like, you know, dig their feet in and stand <laughs> their ground and move forward when literally they're just getting, you know, everything is just kind of, but at the same time, it's also them. about how, like, in their efforts to gain gain control over their lives, they're sort of hurting other women in the process, right? Mm-hmm. Like, as much as Joan Crawford brings Betty Davis into this, the two of them are just sniping and competing constantly. And it seems to be mostly from Joan Crawford's end. Betty Davis seems like, what, right, what is she doing? Line? Yeah, I do kind of feel hate, like I hatred, don't think Betty pain. Davis yeah. was all that innocent right. in all this. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did try to do a little outside reading about that. Um, I, I do want to... Um, uh, play another clip from this. First of all, I think we can all agree uh, the casting here also is pretty marvelous, particularly down to, to some of the uh, auxiliary roles, especially Alfred Molina uh, and Stanley Tucci playing the director Robert Aldrich and, and studio head Jack Warner, respectively. Uh, but there's uh, lots of other nice little surprises, including the young lady who played Sally Draper on Mad Men uh, back in a slightly older role. Uh, but I do want to play a conversation uh, between uh, Jack Warner and the director Robert Aldrich as incarnated by these two actors that I think might lead us into our next area. Here we go. I created goddesses, Bobby. I created goddesses. I was Zeus, and they were a couple of Aphrodites. But you know what happens to Aphrodite when her tits start to sag and her pictures start losing money? Or Venus, who should just look pretty and keep her mouth shut, and she starts having an opinion about everything? You know what happens to her? Zeus picks up a lightning bolt, and he hurls it right at her head, and he splits it open. That's what happens. You got a pretty short goddamn memory, Bobby. What does that mean? That bitch Davis sued me in 1936 to get out of her contract. She literally sued me. Bobby, I was so upset about that that I got an ulcer and hemorrhoids from it. I still have them. I'll show them to you. And you know what else? I won that suit. I won it. And she was ordered to come back to work for She just wanted better parts, Jag, a say in her own destiny. Yeah, okay, fine. But because of her selfishness and her bullheadedness, the entire studio contract system came crashing down. The whole thing, because of her. She's the one who put the crack in the levee, and you want me to work with her again? Are you crazy? So there's a lot of things going on in this conversation, including the whole nature of the death of the studio system. Uh, but Tanisha, I don't know if you saw this clip um, about a year or two ago. Uh, Amy Schumer uh, did a piece 
uh, in which she's walking through, I think, Central Park and stumbles <laughs> upon, you already know where I'm going with yeah. this, right? Uh, maybe you haven't seen this quote, where, where she stumbles upon Tina Fey, Jul- Julia Louis-Dreyfus, and I can't remember who the third woman is. And they're, they're celebrating Julia Louis-Dreyfus's last day of sexual viability, which is, <laughs> yes, it, yes, which is so. actually yeah. expressed as the word blankable. She's, yeah, yeah, it's the last yeah. day she's going to. And she's excited because she, I think, among other things, she has a melted Ben and Jerry's ice cream, which she's drinking right out of the <laughs> container because she doesn't really, she doesn't have to maintain this particular level anymore. Right. So all bets are off. She can do whatever she wants. Right. And, and to me, that's, you know, you listen to this conversation between Warner and Aldrich, and it seems like a couple of cavemen talking from the very distant past. But I don't think Schumer could have gotten laughs out of that bit if it weren't right. kind of true today. Oh, absolutely. And it's so hard as a producer, right, when you're looking at casting work and as a woman, realizing that sometimes that's just true, right? Like, it's just true. And yes, Su- you know, Su- Susan Sarandon is still effable, like for sure, but there's not very many 70-year-olds like her, you know? And it's the moving pictures, mm-hmm. emphasis on picture. So it's a, it's a, it's a tough thing. And, and yes, you're right. It does sound like, you know, two cavemen talking about, ah, women, not pretty. But I <laughs> well, think there's, the, you know, Schumer sketch, she says, industry. how do you know that you're not effable anymore? And they say, oh, well, you know, it's the, it's just the little things. Like when you get called in to play the mom and <laughs> all, all these things. And, and as a performer, myself, those are the things that yeah. you, you dread. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I had to play a mom. I played a mom twice in a commercial and it, it was awful. <laughs> Not only do you have to like work with a child who's like adorable and stealing the scene, but also you're like, oh God, I'm the mom now. And it's funny, you know, you had brought this kind of up when you're like, you know, what does it mean? We age differently now, which to me is just, you know, a wink and a nod to we the fact that, now. right, exactly, yeah. that we've Botox. got surgery and Botox. And, you know, and maybe, I love that. you know Jill- a little bit more about eating better and not smoking all the time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm sure <laughs> that's <laughs> everywhere. Yeah. But I loved, you know, the, that scene where the she's lemons. rubbing the lemon on her elbows. That's what I tweeted after the first episode I was like my big takeaway is should I be rubbing lemons on my elbows no. because it's probably, essentially it's probably bad actually yeah. you know thing to do with something that astringent but anyway so <laughs> I want to just explore a little bit uh, whether sort of what the politics of this series mm-hmm. are because it, it's it's kind of interesting right I mean first of all Ryan Murphy's the guy who created this uh, he's uh, got uh, uh, the uh, the more the acted version of the OJ story in his past of American Horror Show uh, also and stuff like that so he's kind of a big mocker uh, in the business these days um, and he is, he's like the next Warner yeah. yeah he is the next Warner and and he's been very generous about sort of boosting up the careers uh, of some aging yeah. actresses including yeah. Jessica Lange and Kathy Bates who also appears in this he has um, a company yeah. no doubt he has a company and he's really working on that yeah. My question, though, is as I'm watching this. Okay, so I think we agree that one of the that the way that Joan Crawford and Betty Davis were going to get this work was, uh, you know, to make this particular movie, whatever happened to Baby Jane, was that there was going to be a kind of electricity generated by the idea of these two fading sirens who didn't like each other very much, and Hedda Hopper, marvelously played by <laughs> Judy Davis in this series, you know, is going to work to you know create some buzz around that. That that it was sort of like watching a dog fight, right? That there was mm-hmm. a, this kind of sense that. 
some of the buzz and some of the box office for this motion picture, or whatever happened to Baby Jane, would arise from the notion that these women were really actually at each other's throats, and which is disturbing if you think mm-hmm. about that as something that sells tickets. But now I'm wondering, is this something that's but selling it, tickets now? Well, right. Oh, yeah, I was like, yeah, is yeah. it disturbing? Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't. Do we have an equivalent of people? I mean, you know, Mariah Carey is always feuding with somebody, but like other than that, do we have like a sense of any? Actors or actresses who are, I feel like that's at the heart of of every Us Weekly. I mean, yeah. it's all <laughs> yeah. about the fights. That's what it is. I mean, what was interesting to me is that Robert Aldrich, in fact, got involved in it mm-hmm. because, like you said, it is about these two titans fighting each other because it's mm-hmm. more interesting to watch women fight each other than it is to watch them get along. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, that's at the heart of big little little big lies is these women's (laughs) fighting with each other that is entertaining that's Mm -hmm. interesting yeah i just can't think of i feel like we more often have feuds between like a male and female co-star that you'll hear about donald trump and rosie o'donnell yeah yeah or i i mean i guess there's like the Katy perry lady gaga Mm -hmm. feud that goes on taylor swift kanye west yeah Mm -hmm. yeah Mm Yeah, it is. It is somehow other. There's this notion these days of sisterhood, and and maybe now it's it's a, a fictional entertainment that well, you know, Jennifer Aniston and Angelina Jolie is being suggested, but that's oh, fighting that's over ju- a man. Yeah, right, like, right. right. But and I also don't get the sense that either one of them is actually feuding with the other. That seems although but I, if there was a movie to be made and they mm-hmm. put right. Angelina Jolie and Jennifer Aniston as the leads in mm-hmm. it, that would be incredibly salacious. Everyone yeah. would want to know what's going on behind the scenes there. Mm-hmm. I'm actually surprised Let's no just one be honest. It's not going to be breaking news. When that actually happens, <laughs> well, because it will, like right. you know, whatever we, happened to Baby sh- Jane. And we should say that in, Ryan Murphy kind of specializes in creating these series that um, kind of have repertory companies mm-hmm. or, or people switching around in different roles. This is called Feud, and, and then the names uh, of the two feuding people. But apparently, it's going to be part of an ongoing series. Another some oh. of these performers oh. will be coming back. I believe Charles and Diana might Charles be Charles and Diana uh, is the next, the next season. The next season of this. So. Feud. Uh, yes. A feud. So there's going to be more of these kinds of things about people who are feuding. I mean, he's tapping into a zeitgeist, let's be honest. And I think it, it's silly to uh, to say that, that that's not what sells, that right. maybe it's not the tip of our tongues right now what those feuds are. But I, but I think they're so embedded in our consciousness that we don't even recognize the fact that there are always some kind of celebrity feud that is just at the heart of... Of, of entertainment, of Hollywood, I should say, not mm-hmm. just entertainment. Well, one thing that I, one question that I had, you know, this is so much um, obviously a series about uh, women from a certain generation uh, reaching a certain age and, and losing power and losing uh, um, commercial viability. And so you see, once again, this is another series with a Greek chorus. The Greek chorus this time is Kathy Bates. Uh, <laughs> as, Catherine Zeta Jones. Uh, Catherine Zeta Jones is Olivia de Havilland. Kathy Bates is Joan Blondell. Uh, I think Sarah Paulson, I forget who Sarah Paulson is. But there's sort of all these sort of actresses of that time uh, who come on as a Greek chorus and, and sort of comment uh, on the unfolding action. But, you know, one of the people who's like not really mentioned is Catherine Hepburn, who mm-hmm. was an actress mm-hmm. of that generation and somehow or other wasn't ruled by any of these things, right? Mm-hmm. Somehow or was able at least from our vantage point to chart her own destiny. There was never any discussion as there was with Joan Crawford. Like maybe she was sleeping with studio heads to get better. <laughs> Just none of that stuff. Well, so, she broke all the rules, yeah. right? She yeah. was like, I'm going to wear pants and I don't care what you have to say about it. So it was almost like she was just like, these don't apply to me. I'm just going to continue being Catherine Hepburn and there's nothing you can do about it. I think there's like one part in one of the episodes where one of the studio heads makes a comment about, oh, what if we use Hepburn and -and Mm so-and-so? And And they were like, Mm -hmm. 
she, she was like, Catherine? And you're like, no, Audrey. Audrey, Audrey And I think it's because, <laughs> you know, like you said, she she was a boundary breaker in mm-hmm. so many ways. And perhaps, like, you know, Warner said, like like of uh, Joan Crawford or Bette Davis, whatever one he was not interested in. It's like, I don't want to deal with that woman who's mm-hmm. got her own agenda and her own plans and her own, you know, outlook for her career. Um, we're going to go to a break here, uh, although before we go to recommendations and endorsements and things like that, one thing that this did make me do, I haven't really had a chance to do it yet, is I know I want to go back and I haven't watched a lot of this stuff uh, because of the person that I live with. It's not unusual for me to come home and find Dark Victory or you now Voyager or something <laughs> playing. TCM is like a default channel in my house, but I haven't really sat down and watched many of these movies in a long time. And, and I really do feel like, you know, just to even to see the interesting mystique of Betty Davis, an actress who was never beautiful by the standards of her day or really any other day, but who had this incredible siren career, uh, it might be worth it. It would be worth it just to go back and you know, just watch Mildred Pierce with Joan Crawford again, stuff like that. So anyway, why don't we take a break? We'll come back. We'll tell you other things. Fight, fight like a girl. Today's show is produced by Jonathan McPants and me, Kion Wolf. Amanda Fish is feuding with Hazel Cologne. The part of Bill Curry was played by Jack Warner. For backstage, head a hopper gossip about the show, visit the Colin McEnroe Show page on Facebook. On Monday, with help from British intelligence and microwave ovens, the Scramble investigates the White House's attack on the sinister Meals on Wheels program. And now... Back to Colin. I don't really know whether we're doing that on Monday or not, but my new theory is just pick three things, you know, put them together. That's a news item these days. Um, all right. So um, you want 60 seconds to complain about Rachel Maddow? I can do that under the rules of our committee. Oh, yeah. I just. <laughs> I, well, I should say that we had, we had thought about a third topic and it was going to be Rachel Maddow's big reveal uh, on Tuesday night, uh, which was supposedly this really exciting thing about Donald Trump's tax returns, but wasn't. And it did sort of make us all, I think, pause and think about how we feel about Rachel Maddow these days. It did. And it made me sad because, you know, you want to believe that somewhere in the universe is some is a journalist with a microphone that is that cares about journalism. And it just seems like it's not there anywhere. No. The fourth estate feels like it's 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 lacking. And 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 she seemed like a a, a Potential. She seemed like when she, she arrived on the scene, she was very excited, fantastic. Yeah, yeah, maybe somebody who was a real game changer. Maybe she's been changed by the game. But that that's crappy what, two pages of of non important yeah. Trump information. But that's what public radio's for. You know, we'll never <laughs> abandon our standards, except when we do shows like this one. Uh, so just kidding. Just kidding. Exactly, grandmas yeah. and soaps. So, okay. So now it's time when I, I make all the corrections and stuff like that that the producers have been trying to tell me about. So the person I couldn't think of who was in the Amy Schumer bit was Patricia Arquette. She she and uh, and Tina Fey and Julia Louis Dreyfus uh, and Sarah Paulson is playing a Geraldine Page uh, on uh, on Feud. I don't think you've gotten to that episode yet. Um, so um, that's oh, that was last night's episode. Yeah. Time, time to recommend things. Uh, Carolyn, would you like to begin? Sure. All right. So I'm going to recommend Hush Hush Sweet Charlotte, which is a, a Betty Davis movie made after uh, Baby Jane. 
and it is just so over the top ridiculous. It also it co-stars Olivia de ha- uh, Havilland, can't say her name, mm-hmm. and um, Agnes Moorhead, Joseph Cotton. It's spectacular. Find it, watch it, um, and enjoy its ridiculousness. Um, and I-, I was pointing out that the, the turn the, these two movies and some other movies like them. Uh, are sometimes described as hagsploitation. I did not want to say that word. (laughs) (laughs) But I did want to say that word. Anyway, continue. Um, And along the line of ridiculous, I wanted to endorse an app I've discovered on my phone that I'm really into. It's called Zombie Run, and it is a... um, you, it's a running app, like a fitness app, but you, it, it actually makes you feel like you're being chased by zombies. So it kind of combines this like Pokemon Go element of like a game, and it actually makes running pretty fun uh, for someone like me who running is not something that I would ever consider fun. Um, I do so if recommend. You see this. Carolyn just running around the streets of Hartford screaming. <laughs> that's why she's exercising. <laughs> yeah. Don't panic. Sure. Definitely don't try to help her. At all. Right. <laughs> Or she might be getting chased by Alexander Skarsgård, and this is the one time she doesn't. I don't think I would run very far from that. (laughs) Now that you know more about him. All right. So, uh, Tanisha, what have you got for us? Um, So I've got a cocktail recipe because those have been in my mind lately. Um, A riff on a Greyhounder, so a little vodka, a little grapefruit juice because it's citrus season still, and it's cold, and we all need a little reminder of warmer times, and a little rosemary simple syrup. Mm. Shake that all together and top it off with some seltzer. It's like... As soon as I get home from my zombie run, I'm going to make one of those. Yeah, not on St. Patty's Day because it's not like a St. Patrick's Day cocktail, but I recommend it for any evening (laughs) show. And then lastly, uh, there's just a fantastic singer. Her name is Keela Miles. Uh, She's amazing to work with and lovely. Um, She joins us for a party, us being theater work. She joins us for a party, our out party. And I just want to invite any and all arts patrons and artists to the space because I think What's important in this time is to have some space to just be around each other and having whatever conversation comes to mind. So our out nights are the third Wednesday or something like that, uh, post-show. Come, hang out, talk, be Kila Miles. So we can just show up the third Wednesday of any month? Show up the third Wednesday post-show. So this particular show runs uh, two and a half hours, so the party starts at 10. So it's for our vampires and late birds and zombies. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, it's just about giving a space to all of us to be together, to talk, to hang. Um, Yeah. All right, so have a sweet hang at TheodoreWorks. All right, Teresa, what have you got? I'm going to endorse some other difficult women that I was binging on our snow day. Mm. Um, I watched Insecure on HBO. I ran through that. It was funny. Good. I second that endorsement. It's so funny. And then, um, and she's like, you're like, I don't need you, girl, you've got problems. Like, I don't know what is going on with you for like the entire show. And, um, and then I've also been watching Crazy Ex-Girlfriend with Rachel Bloom, which is also hilarious. And another woman who you're just like, oh, man, I don't know what to do with you, but I love you anyway. <laughs> and then <laughs> Mark Oppenheimer wants to do a nose episode about uh, my crazy ex-girlfriend. I, it's, yeah. it's very I just nosy. won an award yeah. from her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is it? Yeah, yes. my uh, short film for the You Can't Rachel Do Bloom That. Yeah, Rachel Bloom about. was the judge and mine Ooh. was one of the top picks. Mm-hmm. Congrats. At the Women in Comedy Festival. Thank yeah. you. And then I've also been listening to Rihanna, who seems like she would get you into a bar fight any day yes. of the week. And, um, but you'd uh, win. Yeah, exactly. Like, you're like, whatever, Rihanna's going to. She's got your back. Bust some heads here. And then um, Dead Sarah, who is um, 
like one of the songs I really like, it, it sounds like a Rage Against the Machine song, machine song, and then like a chick comes in and starts singing, and it's great. Mm-hmm. All right, so those are many recommendations involving difficult or at least complicated women. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I'm going to sort of do something a little bit different, which is that we're working on a show. We've been working on it for a long time uh, based on uh, the tournament of books that's done by the Morning News. And we're realizing we're not getting you guys involved enough here. So we're just going to discuss four books. They are Francine Prose's Mr. Monkey, Michael Chabon's Moonglow, Nathan Hill's The Knicks, and Colson Whitehead's uh, Underground Railroad. And so uh, we're going to talk about those four books with a group of panelists, and we're going to sort of put them into kind of, you know, a small version of the NCAA brackets and sort of figure out which one comes up on, comes out on top. Um, so we are going to, uh, that show is going to air Tuesday, March 28th. I think we're, you've got 11 days to start reading. That's the whole idea, or how, however many days it is till March 28th, probably not 11 days. So do I have, any, yeah, I have a little bit of time. A couple other things to, that I will quickly mention. Um, you know, I've sort of been wondering, I feel as though this, I've said this many times, that the void left by John Stewart when he got out of The Daily Show, it can't be filled. I mean, there really isn't anybody who has that combination of insight, energy, and comic chops. Uh, but I have been uh, watching uh, online Seth Meyers doing this thing, which I think is called A Closer Look. Is that what it's called? Yeah. And yeah. And he, Seth Meyers, he's not John Stewart. Nobody's John Stewart. Um, but, um, you know, but he's really good, and he really does find some very funny things to do, and he's doing it on a daily basis. I mean, I know John Oliver and, Oliver and Sam B are great, but they're once a week. Uh, so, uh, you know, if you're not watching a little bit of Seth, Seth Meyers, maybe check that out. And then I am replacing, which is probably the way my life is going to go from now on, uh, Kyone <laughs> Wolf. Uh, on an event that I really like doing. I've done it in the past. It's called Book Plates in New Haven. It's on uh, April 3rd. And what it is is we all go out to dinner in different locations. Various people, uh, like Lucy Gelman will be another person, uh, Ann Nyberg, uh, host these dinners at different restaurants. I'm hosting at Zinc, a restaurant I really like anyway. And it's all for the Institute Library, which is this incredible kind of it's like you walk in this there and you've walked into the 19th century or something. I love the Institute Library in New Haven. And so I think if you contact the Institute Library at institutelibrary.org, I think there are still spots open. What We go out to dinner in these different rest- restaurants and then we just walk over to the Institute Library and have kind of a dessert party and there's music and, and whatever else. And so that's lots of fun. And So there's going to be a lot of disappointed people at Zinc who think that Kion Wolf is the host of this thing. So some of you sign up who won't look so disappointed and that'll make me feel better. Uh, and it's been wonderful visiting with these three difficult women, uh, Carolyn Payne, Tanisha Dugan, Teresa Kramer. I can't imagine three difficult women that I would rather spend a Friday (laughs) afternoon with, so thanks for that too.